Hey, it's Shane here. Throughout the majority of my career, I spent thousands of hours on my technique to try to be as close to perfect as I could be. But the one thing I didn't work on was my mental skills. On the exact mindset I needed every ball to be able to access all of my technical skills that I worked so hard to develop. Well, I've recently released my book, Winning the Inner Battle, which has all of the information that you will ever need to deeply understand how you can create the correct mindset for you so that you can bring the best version of yourself every time you step out into the middle. Go to shamewatson.au to purchase a copy of Winning the Inner Battle now. It is available in paperback, ebook, or audiobook versions. Well, it's now time for your episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Enjoy. That's still the thing that I miss the most now. Like that contest of me standing at the crease with a bat in my hand and someone that's running in trying to knock my head off or get me out every ball is what I miss. So at some stage in this, uh, I'm over here, we're both here now in Dubai for the IP. At some stage, I'll get the gear on again and I'll have all these boys running in. I'm dying to face Rabada in the nets. Like that's one thing I want to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lessons Learned with the Greats. I'm Shane Watson, and today we are in the company of true cricketing greatness. This guy dominated world cricket for nearly two decades and in the process became the second highest run scorer in test cricket history, as well as being the third highest run scorer in one day international history too. Not only was he one of the best batsmen and fielders in the world, to go with it, he was the most successful international captain of all time. He was involved in three World Cup wins, with him being the captain and dominant figure in Australia's undefeated World Cup campaigns in 2007 and 2003. Everyone won't have to think too hard to know who my very special guest is today. Ricky Ponning, thank you for taking the time to be on the show. No, it's a pleasure, mate. You can keep going with some of those uh, stats and that if you like. I haven't heard those for a few years. So well, there's a, few more to, there's a few more to come. <laughs> <laughs> um, Punter burst onto the international cricket scene as an incredibly dynamic 20-year-old and immediately became most cricket lovers' favourite batsman. He certainly was that for me. All I tried to do from the first time I watched Punter on TV was to try to emulate that high back lift, that big stride forward and that amazing pull shot in punters 168 test matches 168 (laughs) um, that he played he scored 13,378 runs with 4100s at a phenomenal average of nearly 52 in his 375 one day internationals he scored it's just crazy to think this is actually possible 13,700 runs with 300s at a phenomenal average of 42. Before we move on, I just need to, I need to tell everyone who's listening to this how in- ridiculously lucky I was to have my idol growing up take me under his wing. From the first time that I met him playing for Tasmania as a 19-year-old to then have punter mentor me, captain me, support me and guide me, I know all too well that if it wasn't for punter, I would never have been able to achieve or experience the things that I did on and off the cricket field if it wasn't for this man being so good to me. He saw things in me that I didn't realize I had in me and always challenged me in a great way to get the best out of myself all the time, as well as being incredibly patient (laughs) with my injury issues that plagued my career. (laughs) 
<laughs> and there was a few of those and you had to be very patient. Um, look, there are literally hundreds of highlights <laughs> of punted that are etched in um, my memory um, that I could mention, but I'll just, I'll mention a couple. Um, the first one is your unbeaten 140 in the 2003 World Cup final. To perform like that in one of the biggest games of anyone's career is what dreams are made of. What do you remember about that time? Look, I think I remember the, the thing I remember most about that game um, was that we had to make a really big call on the morning of the game as to whether Damien Martin was going to take his place in the team. He'd, he'd missed a couple of games leading mm. in with a broken finger. So I remember having to basically put my own things between my legs on the line and look at him in the eye and say, are you, are you ready to play? The, you're right to play the game, mate. And I just, I just literally looked him in the eye and asked him as a, as a friend and as a teammate if he was right to play. And he looked me straight in the eye and said, mate, I'm 100% right to go. And that was good enough for me. So, you know, I trusted him there. And, you know, as the day unfolded, he played an unbelievable innings, you know, and shared a great partnership with with me. And um, I think looking back through that that day, that was really, I mean, we got off to such an amazing start. And then it, that gave me the, the ability to go in and just knock the ball around for a little bit in the first half of my innings. I think I'll, I think I was 50 off 70 or 70 odd ball, 80 odd balls or something. And mm. I think, well, I know the second drinks break come around the 35th over. And I remember saying to the, the boys that brought the drinks, drinks out, just buckle yourselves in, put your seatbelts on back in there. Cause I'm, I'm just going to have a crack at everything from here and see what happens because we had, yeah. we had so much batting behind me and mm. I knew that we we're going to have to make a big score at, uh, uh, at the Wanderers to win that game against a good Indian batting lineup. So it was just right. I'm, I'm feeling good. Um, Let's see if I can get a really big score here. Let's see if the team can get, push on and get a really big score. And, and that's, you know, eventually what happened. But, you know, it's a, it was amazing, as you say. I mean, to introduce it that way as being um, one of your highlights, it was certainly, for me, as a young captain, the opportunity to sort of put my stamp on a, on the team, I guess, and, a, and put my stamp on, a, on an entire tournament. The moment was there and then, and, and thankfully I was, I was able to take it. The second highlight for me was your 144 in the first innings of the fourth Ashes Test in 2001 at Headingley. You had had a bit of a lean run in the lead up to that Test match, and you moved up to bat number three during that series. And of course, you'd played some great innings in international career previously with seven Test hundreds before that innings. But this was when things started to seriously get crazy with your trajectory in like into greatness. What do you remember about that time exactly lead up to that and that, and that actual, that innings? Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd been in and out of the team a little bit, hadn't I? I'd been dropped a couple of times early in my career as well. And, and um, when I came back into the side um, and to get the chance to move up to number three was what I was craving. I, you know, when I, when I first came into the te- test team batting at, well, my first couple of tests were at five and then I went down to number six when Steve Wall came back into the side. And, and to be totally honest, I actually didn't feel valued in the team batting at number six. And that might sound really strange to most people, but, you know, I was the young bloke, you know, got, got an opportunity at number six. But I'd never I'd never batted there before. You know, I'd always been a, a number three, number four batsman you know, as a junior and, and for my state. And the higher I batted, the more responsibility I felt I, I had around the team, if that made sense. So batting at number six in a very strong Australian team, I didn't feel like I had a great deal of responsibility. And so I'd been craving the opportunity to move up. I got the opportunity on that tour in England. I hadn't made the most of it in the first few test matches. And, and to be honest, going into that four te- fourth test, it felt like that, that that opportunity might have been slipping away. So, um, you know, I, I just had to be... I just had to be me. I just had to play my way. I, I couldn't worry about anything else from the outside. I couldn't worry about the external pressures. I couldn't worry about what the media was saying. I, you know, I couldn't worry or think that, you know, do my teammates think I'm good enough to be batting at number three? I just had to go out and play, you know, 
see the ball and try and dominate. That's and that's the way it always played. You know, whether I was I was in at none for or one for none or or, or one for a hundred, I, I I try to play the same way all the time because I knew if I did that, I was giving myself the best chance of of having success, some success. You know, and as you know, naturally aggressive person, I guess not just not just batsman, but naturally aggressive person. And it was important that. You know, I batted that way, and 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 I did in that game. You know, I had a, I actually had a chance early on. I got a thick edge that sort of half volleyed to a dive. I think it was Mark Rampakash or someone diving for it in the gully, and it was a like a borderline. Did it carry? Did it not? Um, and of course, I stood my ground. I wasn't going to walk in an Ashes test, so I stood my ground, and and thankfully there was enough evidence there to suggest that the ball had hit the ground, and then you know things just went from there. But I. You know, I got on a real run that day as well. I batted in a partnership, a long partnership with Mark War, and I, um, I have these vivid memories of. I think we made, we might have brought up our fifty-run partnership, and I had forty odd of those fifty, and then I think the hundred-run partnership, I might have had close to eighty of those hundred. And um, you know, I, I played the shots I wanted to play. I scored freely, and uh, um, and yeah, that was. I, I think then, as you say, that was um, a bit of a stamp on the fact that I was going to be good enough and my game was going to be good enough to, to, to handle the number three position in test cricket. Yeah. And what you talked about there is that, that moment where you realize, well, you're totally true to your personality and you thought, and you just said, I'm just going to bat this way. I know that's me at my best. I'm just going to do it. And from that moment, was that like the, the innings where it was like the prototype of you just approaching every innings exactly like that from now on, knowing that that's exactly me at my best, not allowing any other distractions or anything else to come into the reckoning whatsoever. And I'm just going to do that because I know that's, that's me, the best version of me. Yeah, and I mean, it's still, there's still a bit of rounding off to do with a lot of that stuff as well, as as you know, and as you, you would have found out through your career as well. I mean, it's it's one thing to say you're going to be aggressive and you're going to play your way, but you know, you've got to find a balance between being reckless and careless and 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 giving yourself the best chance to play. And so it's finding, you know, what's going to work for you on a consistent basis. So you know, it, I think that's what I I'm a, I learned. As you said, then I. I think you said that was my seventh test match hundred. So, you know, I was still learning pretty rapidly at that, at that stage in my career. So that's probably 20 or 30 test matches, maybe more than that even might be 30 test matches in, you know, so I'm still then trying to find the right way for me to be a consistently good player at test level. Um, you know, a lot of guys burst onto the scene and have a good, a, a few good performances early on. And then they tend to plateau off because they get, you know, they get found out or they get too far ahead of themselves and try and make things happen too quickly. I, I think that's what happened with me. You know, I was, there was all this talk about me and my talent and the way I was going to play and whatever else, but it's easy to get carried away in that as well and, and expect things to happen too quickly. And, you know, it took for me to, to be left out of the team on a couple of occasions and go and go and actually have a couple of weeks away from the game, sit down and actually think about where I was going and what I was doing and, you know, the things I had to change to be a good player at international level. So, um, yeah, that, that, look, that might've been the moment. I've never really looked back to be honest, what I, and, and, to try to find one moment in my career where things might have changed, but when I, when I honestly think about things changing, I, I always go back to the, that opportunity I was given to bat at number three. I think mm. that for me was really, really where things you know turned the corner. Mm. It's amazing how that an opportunity that opens up for for whatever reason um, at that moment in time just allows you to just express exactly who you are and what you are. Um, like like the opportunity that I got when you know you were you and the 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 leadership group around the team in 2009 gave me the opportunity to open the batting. If it wasn't for for that opportunity, um, 
And I, I never knew how powerful opening the batting was for me to be able to actually not think about the score, not care about what situation the game was in. We just have that freedom to not worry about the result. We just go, you know what? Well, I'm just going to try and do everything I can to set it up. And you know what? The rest, if I get out, I get out. The rest of the guys can sort of sort it out. But that was in that that allowed me to just express the best version of me. Yeah, and I think I mean that's that's something I'm learning even more and more now on a daily basis. You know, I think I was. I think I was reasonably good at, at doing that sort of stuff through my captaincy time and, and identifying things that people were good at and their strengths and weaknesses and their you know, personality traits and whatever else. But I think even now as, as a coach and certainly a coach around a T20 team, you, you're just doing that every day. You know, you're trying to find a little niche or a little role for a, for a player in your squad that might be able to have an impact on a game, you know, in a four or five over um, period. So, um, yeah, so that for me, that's what I really love about the, you know, this T20 coaching is, you end up with a group of guys that you don't know that well. Um, as a coach, you've got to get to know them well and got to get them get to know them quickly, and you've got to break their games down and, and try and find areas in a, as I say, in a contest where they might be able to have an impact on a game for you for a four or five over period. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the incredible skill that you've got as, as well is understanding how to be able to one get to know an individual to realise how they tick and what's going to work for them, but then to be able to then put those pieces together. And I'm I'm. Gosh, forever grateful for that opportunity, and obviously the people who are playing under you as a as a coach are incredibly grateful as well. Because there's not too many people who've got those those skills to be able to really understand how to put those pieces together. Yeah, but I think I mean that that works both ways as well, mate. That's you know, it's for me. It's, it's if it is a skill for me to be able to identify that. It's it's more about knowing that the, what the person's going to give back to you as well. Like mm. you're not you're not going to give everyone you know, exactly the same opportunity because, you know, some guys are, are going to take it a bit for granted and, you know, the guys are going to really work their backsides off to make the most of the opportunities you're giving them. So I think that's probably the skill is, under, you know, understanding, as you say, the personality, right, how much they want it and, and if, if they're actually almost worth giving that opportunity. So they're the, they're the things that you're sort, of, you're sort of working out on a daily basis in, a, in any leadership role around a team, I think. Yeah, it's a brilliant perspective. Punt, you've had so many phenomenal highlights throughout your career. Is there one that stands out above all others? No, look, it's it's always, I mean, I've yeah, been asked that question a thousand times. Mm. It's it's not, well, I, I tell you the one that I come back to what over the most, and it's it's not it's not the 140 in the World Cup final. It's not my first ever test hundred. It's not, you know, it's not the it's not the 2006 seven ashes whitewash. It's it's a moment that we had together. You know, as a, as a young team, actually, when all the the star players had finished, you know, when Gilly and Hados and Lang and Mardo and Pidge and all those guys had walked away, there was a moment that, that a memory that I'll never forget, and that was walking off the field in a test series in South Africa, um, walking off Durban, I reckon, after the second test. We'd, we'd been to Johannesburg and it was Hughes' first series and mm. we had Marcus North and Andrew McDonald and all these guys in Hilfenhaus and Siddle and Johnson and... You know, just this really new, young, fresh Australian team that um, there were a couple of us older blokes hanging around trying to look after these young fellas. And um, I remember, I still remember that series vividly because we got, we got to Joburg and I walked out in the middle and as you, you know there when you turn up, it was an absolute green top. And I'm thinking, God, the best way for us, the best way for us to win this game is that, you know, I, I'm, if I win the toss, I'm going to have to bat and it's going to be up to me to, to try and get stuck in and get some runs and, and try and give us a chance in the series. And, we won the toss and I batted and, um, you know, I got a few. Pup got, I think Pup might have got a really good 100, actually, in the first innings of that mm. game. And um, we win that one. We go to Durban um, the, the, and we, we won that 
but we're in the field in the second innings of that game when we won we won the test match and we won the series. And at that time, I mean, just winding the clock back to put it all in perspective, that that summer before South Africa came to Australia and beat us comprehensively in Australia and mm. they were the number one ranked team in the world and we were going back there only a couple of months later, um, which was, a you know, to beat them over there was going to be a huge win for that young team. And so, as I said, we won the first test in Joburg, went to Durban, won the, the second test match there, which obviously had won the series for us. And, you know, we're in the field and I deliberately walked about 30 or 40 metres ahead of the rest of the boys and stood near the boundary line and just watched Field Hughes, Marcus North, Andrew McDonald, um, Nathan Horace might have even played that, um, Cato played, and all these young guys walking off with their arms around each other, stumps in their hand, you know, just what it meant to them to be to win a series and, um, away from home for Australia was, that was the thing that I think looking back on my whole career that I remember the most because it wasn't, you know, my career wasn't about me. It was about it was about the wins that we had and the, and the memories that we shared and all the great times and things that happened. And um, yeah, so I think that was the one that I that I cherished the most. It's not thirteen thousand runs. It's not forty one hundreds. It's not a world standing on a on a on a, a dais holding a World Cup up. It's it's the littler things that mean more. And and seeing guys experience something that I'd had a you know, I'd done a lot in my career. I've won a lot of test matches up until that stage and won a lot of series. But to see some of the young blokes experience for the first time, I think was the the memory that I'll cherish the most. I know you understand intimately the technical aspect of batting. So um, I'm going to dig into this a bit, a bit deeper. From a, from a batting perspective, was there one or two specific technical components that really stand out to you that you worked on and developed? So from that moment on, you knew if you bought this every time you went out to bat, you had a great chance of having a good day. Yeah. Um, I mean, when people talk about me and my batting, they, you know, and you'd mentioned it already, they talk about the, you know, the high back lift and the, you know, big stride forward and all those sort of things. And, and they, and to be honest, they were things that I, I didn't really have to work on. They were just things that I did naturally. And I think when you always, well, you talk about, um, you know, batsmen and their techniques. And I think that's another thing that I've learned a lot over the years. You, you look at Australian batsmen and their techniques and you spend a lot of time in India and look at Indian batsmen and the way they bat everyone. It's just, it is completely chalk and cheese. And um, so when I, you know, try and break my technique down and, and why did I have such a big high back lift and, and why was I on the front foot all the time? And I, I think that was because I, I grew up on um, AstroTurf pitches my whole junior time and and I was I was playing you know men's cricket when I was 11 or 12 years of age so facing you know some of the fastest bowlers in the state on AstroTurf um with no helmet you know I had I had to find a way to survive um so if I didn't have my bat up in the air nice and early then there's no way I could ever you know ever hit a hook shot or a pull shot away and 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 the other side of that is if if you know, if I didn't have my weight on my front foot first, then I couldn't push back. So I was on the front foot looking to get back because I had to play those back foot shots because I was, I was playing on bouncy wickets the whole time. So I think that's that'll be the basis of why I ended up, you know, with this this lunge forward and and a high back lift. It was just because of my upbringing, and it's the the exact opposite when you see the Indian guys. You know, they they're almost back and across more than anything, and they're not getting forward much. So they got their their hands and their their back is are always really low, and they're sort of protecting their stumps and looking to hit the ball down the ground more than anything else. So it's, it's, it's chalk and cheese, but you know, as, as things started to develop and I started to understand my own game better, I mean, it was, you know, that, that movement forward for me was, um, you know, probably my biggest strength, but at times it was my biggest weakness as well, because if I got the synchronization of my movements wrong and I started moving a little bit early, then I was, you know, I was stuck and I couldn't go anywhere. And, 
Um, if my balance wasn't quite right, my balance was sort of going towards mid-off rather than going back towards the, the umpire, then, you know, I got, I got LBW, especially in the last half of my career, got LBW a lot as a result of that. So, you know, I was continually working on balance drills and, and on driving was was a was a shot that I knew that I had to just drill and practice and practice because if I could play and on drive well, it meant that I was well balanced. And you know, you would have seen it a lot the, the times that we had together that you know there weren't many net sessions that I'd finish where I didn't finish um, on doing you know thirty, forty, or fifty on drives in a row just to to make sure that the balance felt right. So those those technical things are one thing, but I also had a, I had a checklist of mental things that I that I had to work through. You know, every night before, if there was a chance that I was going to bat in a test match the next day, then every night before I went to sleep, I worked through a, a pretty simple checklist of things that were, you know, and they are simple. You know, I'd, I'd write down on the, in my diary, you know, to, to watch the ball and to call loud and, you know, to, to, to run well between the wickets and, you know, yeah, to, to make a hundred and, you know, all, all these things like that. But um, that was just so I did it that night. I could dream about him if I, if I, if I wanted to, or by the time I got to the ground the next day, I knew that all the homework and everything I had to think about had been done. I could just turn up and play. So, um, you know, batting's, yeah, we, we all know, don't we, the batting's, you know, there's a certain percentage of it that comes down to skill and technique. And there's probably a high percentage of it that comes down to the way they're thinking on any given, any given day or on any given ball, ball to the point. Um, yeah. So, you know, the mental side of things was the thing that probably improved the most, Right, the, you know, through that that middle part of my career where everything was going really well, it was, um, you know, it was the mental side of things more than the technical side of things that changed most for me. Okay, there's a, a couple of questions that come out of this. Um, first of all, just from a technical component, what was like? Was there a couple of little technical checklist things that you were pro- the working through as the bowler was running in? Like was there? Was it your head position um, at the crease in your stance? Was it where your hands sat? Was it your where your weight was on the um, on your feet, um, balls of your foot or feet or on your heels? Or was it as the ball was bowled, like a, a timing component to to um, to your movements, just to try and for you to be in the best position you possibly could as the ball was re- released? And I look, um, I think you know me well enough to understand that I'm a pretty simple person. I'm pretty mm. simple in the mind. And if I've got more than one thought in my head at once, I'm in real trouble. So mm. no, not when it was game time, no. At training, yes. Yeah. At training, I was thinking about all those things. I was mm. thinking about my head position. I was thinking about the, my, my, this, the width of my stance, where my hands were, the timing on my back lift. I was thinking about all those things at training, but absolutely not in not when it was walked out to the middle. When I walked out to the middle, it was about, you know, I'd walk out, I'd, I'd take guard, I'd do a few hamstring stretches, I'd get into my batting stance, I'd look up, and when the ball was at the top of his mark, I just said, watch the ball once when he started his run-up. When he was halfway in, I said it again, and when he jumped into his delivery stride, I said, watch the ball again. And, um, you know, for, for anyone that's listening, that's not about me telling myself I had, had to watch the ball because I, was, I wasn't good at watching the ball, but it was keeping all the other thoughts out. So if I said one thing, I didn't allow anything else to get into my head. You know, I didn't allow that premeditation of a, oh, a short ball's coming, I'm going to pull it if it's short, or this is going to be a full one, I'm going to drive it down the ground if it's full. I, you know, I battled those things early in my career. You know, and as, as a young bloke, as I said, looking to impress and looking to dominate, you had those, I had those thoughts in my head as a young guy and then you know, worked it out and kept things a bit simpler. And I knew if I could keep, give myself one thought and that was always just to keep, well, watch the ball, as I said, but that was to keep my head clear. And then I'd just let all the practice and everything that I did could then take over. You know, it's like we've been been playing this game since I was 
six or seven, eight years of age. So it wasn't like any of that was going to go anywhere. But if I had a clouded mind, then I wasn't letting my body do the things that I'd trained it to do for so long. So um, that was the basis of my batting when I got out to the middle. Okay. I didn't know that you did that. I didn't know the reason why you did that. Like of how much you know time we spent together talking about a lot of different things. I didn't know that you, I know you said watch the ball, but I didn't know the reason why you did it. And then the sequence of you doing that, because the one thing that I have learned in the last sort of four or five years by educating myself on mental skills is around, if you put something into your mind, then the wrong thing can't come in. Or if you, if you're, if you've got the wrong thing in, then the right thing can't come into your mind because you can only process one thought at a time. So yeah, yeah. That is incredibly powerful what you're saying there. And did you just did you just work that out yourself, or did you have someone help like help you help you sort of work through that that exactly was the right thing for for you to just have a very simple, clear mind? Yeah, no. Well, I did just work it out for myself, to be honest. And I'd seen. I mean, Mardo was one that did it. Mardo did it right through his career. If you watch highlights of Mardo, mm-hmm. you can always you can always read his lips, and he's telling himself to watch the ball. And now I didn't ask him why because. Um, but I'd also heard a lot from other people and, and sports psychs and, and the like about, you know, these triggers and the, the, the little key things that you, that you need in your own mind. And then I just worked out for myself, well, if I can keep things as simple as I can and just, you know, what, would, what could be the simplest one thought that I could have going into my head, you know, when I'm trying to keep everything else out? And it was just to watch the ball. That was, a, that was as simple as I could possibly make it um, to keep those other thoughts out, as you say. You know, it's... You know, it's, it's like, and so for captaincy now, even coaching now as well, I, I, I'm so conscious of what I say to guys now as a result of understanding the power of the mind. Like if, if, if I was a captain or a coach and I tell a bowler, don't bowl a wide, so don't bowl a wide, and you leave them with that, what's, what, what do they do? Because you leave them with don't bowl a wide, <laughs> so they bowl a wide because that's the last thing they're thinking about, right? Yeah, But if exactly. you tell them to, to tell them to bowl a perfect ball, but run in and bowl a perfect Yorker, give them that positive um, thought and that positive yeah. image, then they'll more than likely do that for you. So, mm. um, yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I come a long way, haven't I, from that that the, the year ten dropout of Brooks High School to talking about the the psychology of the game. <laughs> yeah, well, but you worked. The thing is, you worked it out through experience. That's the that's a powerful thing. It's not just someone who's like a psychologist coming in and saying, "Oh, this is what you should do." It's actually you worked it out and found exactly what worked for you. And then in the end, you knew you've known why it works as well. Um, and that's the, that's the incredible power of it. Oh, the other thing that I want to touch on is just around that visualization component, really before every time you had to bat writing, right, like working through that really simple checklist that you talked about, um, before every day that you batted. So then you went to sleep with just a few, those really simple thoughts, but really important and powerful ones for you around like call loud, make sure, you know, running between wickets hard, all those, those really simple things and the visualization of it being a great day as well. That's again, tapping into the power of your, of your mind. Again, when did you, re- when did you do that? When did you realize that that was important? Yeah, I, I actually can't put my finger on the exact stage of my career. I did that either. I, to be honest, I, I reckon it might've been when I might've been battling a little bit and, and I thought I've got to, I'm going to have to try and do something a bit different here, you know, to make myself, to, to give myself a chance to be a more consistent player. I mean, if you look at the early, the early parts of my career, I'd have, you know, a few moments of brilliance here and there, and then I'd have four or five innings where it was, there was next to nothing. Then I'd come back into form again. So it's, mm. I knew that I had a game that was, that was good enough, but it was, how do I, how do I make myself into a really consistent, um, you know, high level performer over a long period of time? And that's, so that's mm. what I was trying to achieve. And then, 
So once again, as I said, I, I try to keep it as simple as I could. I mean, I started with my diary. It'd be a, so I'd make a dot and then I'd write, um, watch the ball. That'd be the first one. The second one would be another dot would be um, loud calls. The third one would be another dot would be play straight early. Um, the fourth one would be, um, you know, the other thing I was really conscious of what I was, you know, I needed to get myself up and about and in a contest and, and be really up for that. But I couldn't go too far. I couldn't get myself too pumped and too over the top in the contest. So the next one was all about being the contest, but don't get, you know, don't get too involved in it, if you yep. know what I mean. So, yep. um, yeah, things like that. Then it was, then it was um, bat, for, bat for a long period of time, make 100, be man of the match was the last one. So mm. I'd write those things down and then I'd actually go back individually. And under, so I'd under, as I underlined it, I then actually visualise what that looked like. So what does watch the ball look like for me? Mm. Um, what is calling loud? What does it look like? So I'd take myself to that place where I could actually see myself blocking one into the offside and calling really loud. Mm. You know, so I went through all of them and then that was what – I had this vision of what everything looked like for the next day. So I, I did that. Then I do the same thing with their bowlers. So how was James Anderson going to try and get me out? How was Stuart Broad going to try and get me out? So I'd go through that and then how were they going to stop me scoring? So if I knew how they were going to get me out and how they would try and stop me scoring, I could come up with a game plan around how they were going to bowl to me. Mm. And then if I had that in my head the night before, I mean, it, mate, it was amazing how many times mm. I'd go to bed and dream about yeah. I'd actually see, I'd dream about the, the game un, like unfolding that way the next day. And, you know, the power of the mind, you know, yeah. quite, often, quite often it does. So, um, yeah, that, that, I think that was how little things like that were how I think I was able to maintain a, a pretty high level for, a, you know, a reasonable amount of my career. Again, I, find, I just find this so fascinating that I didn't ask these questions when I was like for, oh gosh, I've known you since I was 20. I never asked these questions to really understand why, what you did, especially with this component and these components and why you did them. Because even like what you're talking about, that the power of the visualization component as well, like going to bed, sleeping on that, it's what I do now, but that's only because I've, been, I've educated myself around the power of it. I didn't know, I didn't know when I was like, I didn't know what, I didn't know you're doing that. The one thing that I, the one thing that I did know that you did was when you were batting, you always asked the umpire how many balls left in the over and you always knew there was two balls left. Yeah. How did you do you pick that up, did you? Of course. And because your dad said to you that you don't, don't you, it's as weak as piss if you get out and the last two balls and over. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I did actually, actually early in, my, early in my career, I did it a bit. Like I got through, you know, so you get yourself up and ready for the first, you know, the first ball of first mm. few balls and over and you get into the over and, and then I got, must've got out a couple of times early in my career off the last couple of balls. And then, mm. yeah, you're right. I, I knew how many balls were gone. Every every time every time mm. I knew there were four balls gone, but I still had to ask how many was left. Mm. So, because and then I wasn't going to get out in those last couple of balls. Yeah, and for me, the power of that is it just kept you totally present. To in yeah, you still had intent. It wasn't you were like don't get out, but it was more get to the end of the over with intent, with the best version of me. And that's in my yeah. mind, that's one of the reasons why you're able to sustain and bat for such long periods of time because you always stayed super present. You never actually allowed, really allowed yourself to move forward. Your mind moved forward into the future because there's always, I'm just getting to the end of the over. And that's the power of actually being present and conserving and just staying in the process instead of getting caught up in the bigger picture. And as soon as you get caught up in the bigger picture, then you're, you're done. Yeah. And, and there's two, I mean, yes, I wanted to get to the end of the over for me, but 
if you if you think about the game and you think about what you're doing when you're out there batting, you, you got someone at the other end with you as well. And the one thing you don't ever want to do is let that bloke down either. So it's I want to be here for the partnership's sake as well because I don't want to let my mate down. You know, the guy that we we might have been batting for two or three hours together, and we might be just starting to get the game back on our terms and. I'm not going to be the one that's going to get out. So I'm going to do whatever I can to get to the end of the over and have a chat with you. And, and then we'll go again. We'll go for the next four, the first four balls of the next over and see how we go. I find it so unbelievably fascinating. I know we could talk a lot about the technical side of things of, of batting, but because I know you know it so incredibly well with this mental skills side of thing, it's one thing that's not really, it's not really communicated that well. And hasn't been, it wasn't through my career. And even like I said, it's not until now that I've really understood exactly how you went about things as well. And that's part of, the reason the power of this you know, podcast alone is just to be able to get people to understand the different techniques that gr- some of the greatest cricketers actually use to be able to get the best out of themselves. Because, and a lot of the time it's not majority of the time, it's not from education from a sports psychologist or anything like that. It's actually what they've worked out for themselves. That's worked for them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, even now, um, you know, looking back, that some of the things that I did, if I'd have known that they were going to help others at the time, then, you know, I should have been more open about what I was doing. But when I'm thinking back, I just thought, you know, it was probably, you know, the middle of my career was probably, we probably had sports psychs around the team more, more than not often than not. So I was, I was probably thinking that everyone just had their own things that they were doing. And this was just my, this was just my version of what everyone was doing. Um, and I, and, and I, I can relate it now to, to, when I was a younger bloke in the team and, and traveling to India for my first couple of tours and not have any of the senior blokes tell me about the way that I needed to play spin bowling over here and, and little things, technical things that you might be able to do to, to survive in different conditions in India. You know, that, that, a lot of that information just wasn't shared around, around the group. And, you know, you sit, and I sit back now and just think, you know, why didn't we do more of that? And, you know, and, you know it's not about making excuses or anything else, but it, I think, and to be honest, mate, I don't know why I didn't sit down with everybody and say, "Look, I guess you don't. I guess you don't want to say, well, oh, look, boys, I'm going really well. This is the reason yeah, why.' Yeah, because you're not that person. Yeah, why, <laughs> yeah, why, why don't you guys do the same? Why don't you try? Why don't you try this for twelve months and see if it works? Um, yeah, but yeah. yeah, but looking back now, there's yeah, and that's so things like that are the the great experiences that you have as a, as a player that you know. Hopefully, I can share now with you know in in coaching roles and things and try and try and find little ways just to make, make people better. And for you being so open and honest, like you are like with, with what you're doing now, people who listen to this are just going to have much more insight into how to get the the best out of themselves and understand how your mind works to be able to just try and be the best version of yourself. And, and with that, so you talked about your, you talked about your checklist if you were going to define you at your absolute best batting wise, what exactly would that look like? Describe myself at my best as a batsman. Um, yeah. So like, you, cause you mentioned about having the intensity of getting into the battle, into a fight, but then understanding that it was a fine line between that and you needed that intensity, but the fine line between that and then going too far. And I know that all too well when you just a bit out of control and you, and you start moving outside of your bubble, was that a really important part in your batting, that intensity that you knew that you had to bring, that was a huge part for you being at your best? Yeah, absolutely. Like The way I always used to say it, mate, and it goes back to probably being a a really small boy playing against men and and it was that, you know, okay, you've got your ball, I've got my bat, 
let's see who's going to win. Like, you can bowl at me all day if you want. I've got a bat, but you're not going to get me out. So, you know, that was – I think that was what it was. I think it was really grown from a young age because I was the young little kid that was playing against these men all the time. It was, okay, well, I've got to stand up and I've got to show you blokes. So, and to do that, you're not just going to – you're not going to walk all over me. You're not going to run in and bowl fast and scare me. You're not going to worry me. Like, let's go. I've got a bat you've got a ball. And that was – and that that's still the thing that I miss the most now. Like <laughs> – that contest of me standing at the crease with a bat in my hand and someone that's running in trying to knock my head off or get me out every ball is what I miss. So at some stage in this, uh, I'm over here, we're both here now in Dubai for the IP. At some stage, I'll get the gear on again and I'll have all these boys running in. I, I'm dying to face Rabada in the nets. Like that's one thing <laughs> I want to do. <laughs> so good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, to be honest, so yeah, I mean, and the thing I've always said, mate, about, about batting and the contest and you and we played a lot together. I reckon you could probably name with one or two digits on one of your hands. How many times you saw me smile when I was batting, mm. like whether I was a hundred not out or 200 not out, I wasn't smiling mm. never because mm. my job wasn't done yet. And I had mm. someone else with me that I was trying to, to help or we were trying to, you know, we're trying to win a game, whatever it might be. And, and I, you know, I know certain guys are different, they're different personalities, but whenever I was playing against a batsman, or a bowler, and as soon as I saw them smile, I knew straight away that they were nervous. They were nervous, and they they weren't really into the in the contest as much as they could be. You know, I know Justin will say he used that as a you know a way to to lighten his mood, and and that was he needed to get himself onto that sort of platform if you like to perform well but I've never seen too many other guys that, that play really well when they're smiling the whole time exactly certainly certainly wasn't me me I need to be in the battle I needed to go from especially from internal which the battle could can be at times you start going internal just going no I need it out I just need it to be totally at the bowler I'm in a contest with the bowler with no one else and I'm going to win I'm going to I'm going to win that battle. I'll do whatever I can to win that battle I don't want to lose absolutely and we're, and we're talking about simplifying things right so mm. you know yes there's there's a, a 10 other blokes standing around you when you're in the middle but there's only one guy that can get you out and that's the guy bloke with a ball in his hand so if you lock yourself into that battle the other stuff doesn't matter you know the, the crowd noise doesn't matter you know the fielders don't matter none of that matters all that matters is that that you win when when he runs in and bowls to you you win that contest that's all that matters going into the fielding side of things you took over 250 international catches and to go with this, you have a record for creating the most number of runouts in international cricket with 80 runouts, <laughs> 80, 80 runouts. I'm not sure if I've got five. Anyway, um, so from a, let's start with the technical side of catching. Was there one or two technical um, keys that you worked on and then work, uh, and then relied on to be as good a like all round catcher, not just slips catcher, but general all round catcher. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think I was a great slips catcher. I think I was a pretty safe slips catcher. And probably at the end, at the end of my career, I put, I put, I put a few down to be honest at the end. But so I wouldn't, I wouldn't put myself in the Mark Warb, Mark Taylor. You know, Matty Hayden was a good slip. I, I don't, I would probably wouldn't put myself in that category because. I'd be interested to see what the numbers were in the end, but really, Jeez, I, I, was I was a better. Yeah, look, I was a better. I was a better ground fielder. You know, mm. I was a, I was a better um, in a ring backward point mid wicket. You know, anticipator, I guess, mm. rather than a than a, a stationary catcher. You know, I liked to um, you know I liked to try and read the batter and 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 try and stay a step ahead of the batter and um, almost 
Fox with the bat and play with the batters a bit as well. Like I used to move my position quite a bit at backward point. I'd go a lot finer or I'd go come closer and deeper and move around a little bit. So the bat, the batsman never really knew mm. where I was going to be at different times. And, um, and I, and I, and try to work angles and create angles that batsmen wouldn't expect either. So, I mean, little things that see, this is another thing you probably don't even know about me with my fielding. So yeah. I fielded yeah. most of my one day career at backward point. Um, and as soon as the field went out at backward point, so as soon as there was a deep point guy in, I would always move about three or four steps finer towards third man, but walk a different angle. So I'd walk an angle towards the bowlers and stumps because that was what I was going to get the run out from the ball that was going to be pushed out the deep point. Um, I was going to get that. I, was going, I probably wasn't going to get too many runs on my left-hand side. The ball that was going down to third man was probably going to beat me more often than not. But the ball that was blocked in on point or around point on the offside I was making an angle towards the bowlers and stumps. So I was already moving in that direction and I was a couple of steps ahead of the batsman. Before, mm. you know, once, he, once he played it down and saw it going to point, I was a lot closer to point than where, where he thought I was going to be. And I think that was one of the reasons I probably got as many runouts as I got at the bowlers, like with direct hits at the bowlers end, was because I'd sort of cheated a few yards on them and they didn't really know where I was going to be. So, um, you know, little things like that. So, look, I, I, pride, like I prided myself on my fielding. You know that. I, I, work, I work hard. Mm. Um, I threw a lot of balls and and once again, the reason I did it, mate, was because if a bowler was working his backside off and an opportunity came my way and I missed it, I couldn't live, I couldn't live myself. You know, if I if I misfielded one at backward point that cost us a run at or I picked it up, picked the, the ball up and had a shot at the stumps and it missed by a foot, then that wasn't good enough because that was a, that could have been a moment in the game where I had a, I had a chance to impact that game. And that can be the difference between winning or losing in games. So it was all about Yes, being as good as I could, but if I could make my skills the best, you know, and the best that I could make them, then I'm going to be able to impact games more. So if it was 80 runouts, then, you know, a lot of those would have been direct hit runouts as well. Mm, and, exactly. Um, so, so you can imagine how much time went into, you know, I think I got to the stage at the end with Youngie. I mean, I, I was probably at training, I was probably hitting the stumps eight out of ten times. And when I went into the game, it was probably – a similar sort of number. And that was just all on the back of, of one. It was on the back of hard work as well. But you know, like I say now to the young blokes, it's fielding's all about attitude. You, you can be a good fielder if you want, or you can just be an average fielder if you want. But um, I didn't play the game just to be average. I, you know, I, I played the game to, to try and be the best that I could be. And I knew if I could be the best that I could be, then um, my team was probably going to go okay as well. When you're talking about like, cause your accuracy with your throwing was yeah, eight out of ten is crazy to think that that's possible at training, and then obviously you put you took that in the game. Was there one really important sort of um, technical component that you focused on? And if you if you did it, you knew you're a great chance to be able to line up those stumps. Yeah, I, look, I, I tried to get myself. I, I tried to work on straight lines. The angle I was talking about at backward point, where I was walking towards the bowlers and stumps. If I could then intercept that ball on the same line, on that straight line between where I was going to where the stumps were, if I could pick it up on that, throw it, and then continue down the same line, then I'm giving myself a pretty good chance of hitting the stumps, mm-hmm. right? So that was the stuff I did on a daily basis with Youngie, was all straight lines, getting myself into the same sort of position to throw all the time, making sure that my arm path was as close as it could be all the time. And if, if you equate that to being a bowler, if you run in and bowl one with your arm up and the next one with your arm down here, having control over where the ball is going to be 20 odd yards down the other end is going to be pretty hard. Right. So um, yeah, it was all about those things, but it was just so much repetition. And um, 
yeah, hours and hours of work. But and the other thing, the other thing that we did as well, you know, with with Young, and I credit Youngie a lot to the work to me turning out to be the field that I did because. You know, he, did, he didn't ever push me to do the work, but because he was such a great bloke, he just wanted to go and do the work with him. You know, he, <laughs> yeah. he just wanted to – he'd sit out on the, sit, sit out the ground and wait for you to come and, and you'd go and then you'd be there for an hour and um, you'd, feel pretty, you'd feel pretty good about yourself by the time you left. That's what Youngie was like. But, yeah. you know, what we used to do, we, we used, to, used to – I used to, you know, aim, aim small to miss small, small basically. So I'd only ever have one stump or one, one stump and maybe another small stump beside it. So it was never about throwing at three stumps all the time. Because if I clip the outside of one, yeah, that was okay. But why not try and clip the outside of a smaller target, you know? Rather, so yeah. So, so it, I, if that, the smaller I aimed, the smaller I missed, and then that meant that when I had three to hit, I'd hit them quite regularly. And what you're saying there around aim? So you, as soon as you picked up the ball, you were just zeroed in. You had a very small focus point on where you're trying to hit the stump. So middle stump, low, or something like that. Right on the base, mate. So my yeah it was and that was another thing that Youngie always said like see the base of the stump so we you know we'd put there might have been some tape or something around the bottom of the stump or you might have a water bottle that's sitting there so you had a clearer sort of vision of, of the bottom of the stump but it was always yeah it was like it was like lock and load really you got the ball you saw where it had to go and then you just let it like you let it go and and you and you trained yourself to to get into the right and 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 because you did it so often. You, you could actually train yourself for your miss as well. So if you missed, you would understand why, you know, and you know, like young, you'd yep. say, Oh, you fell off that or you didn't reach enough or, mm. you know, the little keys that he had for you. And you knew if you, yeah. So you could understand, you understand when you did it well, but you also understand when you missed. Mm. And that's incredible. Well, the thing that I absolutely loved about Mike Young, one, of course, his fielding stuff was phenomenal. The What he knew about throwing technique and then educating you around if you missed how to be able to, adjust it in, in game time. But like he had a massive impact on my power hitting because he just, one, he was a great coach and he knew about the mechanics of, of a bat swing or, you know, momentum sort of shift back through a ball. So Mike Young, the influence that he had on Australian cricket, like I hope everyone realizes the power that he, the influence that he had on, you know, so, so many of us. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Well, mate, it's, you know, without speaking out of school, Cricket Australia didn't even have an idea of the impact he was having yeah. on us, did they? I mean, yeah, the fact exactly. that the fact that he didn't get more of it, didn't get more of a gig, um, didn't get more jobs around the Australian cricket team for mm. longer. They had no idea what. As much as we told him, um, you know, I think he's been one of the great losses to Australian cricket over the last ten years. Uh, he was. You think about think back to the teams that he was around. <laughs> you, uh, they were strong, close, tight knit teams, but. Boy, could they field! You know, think about that 2003 World Cup team. Jesus, some, some athletes, and some good fielders in that. 2007, the same. I mean, yeah, doesn't get much better. The one thing that I want to let everyone know as well is you talked about your anticipation side of things. Yes, of course, you're super accurate with your throwing because you know, you're, that technical lines, but you practice so much. But the anticipation. That's the thing that created a lot, or created all these runouts. And again, I didn't know that. You, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, you know, you'd change your position to be able to for the batsman not to know exactly where you were. But that was one of the big reasons why you were able, were able to create so many runouts. Is it because your anticipation? You were a step in front of the batsman, and they didn't realise. And no other fielder, yep. no other fielder really has had that anticipation. Yes, Jonty Rhodes and those guys, they were super fast and agile. But were they anticipating to the same extent you were? And that's the reason why 80, 80 runouts, you were able to create them and they're direct hits. Just about everyone, I'm sure, was a direct hit. I wasn't blessed with the athletic ability of a Jonty Rhodes or an Andrew Simons or those guys. I wasn't, didn't mm. quite have the fast twitch that those blokes had to move 
um, laterally. But um, yeah, so and but and just and the other side of that, what I was being a being a student of I like I like to think of myself as a student of batting technique. Hmm. So when I'm standing at backward point and someone's standing there with an open bat face, where's each where's the ball going to go? going to go finer isn't it so i'm moving finer like if verenda savag's on strike i'm going finer back there because that's where he's going to hit the ball because his bat face is wide open you know and yeah the other guys like inzamam and a lot of the pakistan they would come in and a lot of the sri lankans they just run the ball down to third man all day so i'd always be finer for them because if i could take that shot away that meant i was making them hit a harder shot which was the one to try and push out through through cover point so you know, someone like a, a Sachin or someone with a, a Graham Smith, someone with a more closed bat face, then I was a lot closer, a lot closer on point than I would have been to third man because they mm. couldn't manipulate the ball down that way. So, mm. you know, little things like that that I was thinking about as a fieldsman as well. So, yeah, it's phenomenal. All these little these little things that have a huge thing that can have a huge impact, and that's where the people listening to this, it's it's understanding there are enough, so many little things that you can have a can make a big difference, having a significant impact. On, on what you do and on the game. Oh, absolutely. And that's that's what you and I know more and more now with as much 2020 cricket as we've been around for the last 10 years. You just know that every one contest, whether it's yeah. one ball or a drop catch or a missed run out or, or six here and there, is a difference in the game. It's yeah. as simple as that. So, um, you know, I guess when I, hadn't, when I wasn't playing or when 2020 cricket wasn't about, I still felt that that one ball or that one run out or that one catch was could be the difference in, in a, a test match or a one day. So... Yeah, opportunity. We, you know, we talk about opportunity all the time, but, it, you know, if, if I wanted to make the most of any opportunity in a cricket match that came my way. Since international cricket started, as a captain, you have the most you have the most wins of 220 across T20s and uh, one-day cricket. 220 wins, that's a lot, that's a lot of celebrations. Um, so from a leadership perspective, was there one time in particular that stands out to you that didn't go to plan and – if that situation came up again, you would have approached it a different way. Uh, Two hundred and twenty wins. You said it's a lot of celebrations, a lot of hangovers as well. I yeah. but, um, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, well, mate, I can probably go back to the whole two thousand five Ashes series. To be honest, I mean that's mm. the low point. That's the low point of my career, let alone the low the low point of my captaincy. Probably. Mm. Um, there are a few things that happened at the start of that tour, which you haven't been talked about that much. You know, there was a, if you go back and look at it all, there's a lot of talk about the wives on tour and, you know, a lot of the girls weren't getting on. So that meant a lot of the boys weren't getting on and all that, which for me is a load of, you know, a lot of that stuff I don't think has an impact on the way a team plays. Um, you know, there are other things. One of our players chose to not to stay in the team hotel um, and that tour because had his family there or things like that. that um, and we tailored, yeah, on the other side of it, we, we tailored our training you know, Haydos wanted to train differently, you know, wanted to go down and get his batting out of the way. And remember we were, when Buck was there, we were trying to find ways to make our training almost less time-consuming, but all but everyone walking away feeling like they've got a lot of work done. So, mm. you know, Haydos may be going down early, or some guys, but without mentioning names, wanted to go down early and get their work done and, and you know, not be there for four hours and things like that. And we just lost a little bit of the the fabric of Australian cricket, if you like, and the, the, I'll go to the nets, bat and bowl for three hours and, you know, face Binger and Dizzy and Pidge with new balls and get your work done. And we've got a lot of guys that started to shy away from that side of it. And, mm. you know, oh, I don't want to face the new balls today or I don't want bowlers today. I just want throwdowns. And, 
you know, a lot of that sort of stuff had started to creep in. And I, and if I'm guilty of anything, and this is what I say all the time, like I'm I'm based everything in my life around trust and trusting people. Mm. And if I look back there, I just trusted people too much. I actually put too much faith in people to get their work done at a certain level, which was going to hold up for an Ashes series. And, you know, guess what? It didn't, you know. It, mm. but, we, but before we knew it, I mean, when we tried to start changing things, it was, you know, we're halfway through an Ashes series and the momentum was against us and, and we're playing a, a really, really good and, and well-drilled team. So mm. that's one I would have, I would have probably just said no to that there and then this is the way we're doing things this is the way we're training this is what's made us successful for so long why do we want to change mm. so coming back you know that 06 07 series we went back to the old school way you know we did everything together we, it was always on for young and old and nets in the lead up to all of that and mm. you know look what the results were you know we mm. got back to what had made us successful for so long and um you know five nil probably uh, probably a level of without being sounding like an idiot, but probably a level of test match cricket played by that team through that series, which I'm not sure many teams have been able to, to, to match before or after um, with the same group of players that were disappointing in, you know, 18 months beforehand, pretty much. Yeah. So I think, I think that'd be what I would, would have changed, mate. I think little things when we were trying to do the right thing turned into big things pretty quickly. And I, I probably should have been, a little bit more nimble, if you like, and being able to act on them a little bit quicker. And if I had a bit, you know, that's one thing that would have changed. And that's a beauty of life is learning from your experiences to then make it the outcome or the potential of the outcome better the next time um, from the experience. Like exactly what happened 2005 didn't go well, but such is life. You have to, like, if you've got to learn from those times, especially that don't go well to then, go, okay, well, that didn't work. These are the reasons why. And the next time this comes up, which was not that long later, we're going to put these things in place. And wow, <laughs> as you said, some of the best cricket that's ever been played. Yeah. I mean, it just goes to show, I think that you can get, you can get a little bit too funky with your, with training and prep and the way you think about things and what you want to achieve. I think, yeah. And that's probably what happened there and then. But once we got back to the old school stuff, then I guess the old school results came as well. Yeah, amazing that the power of of bringing of having people together and be able to just what works. Why reinvent the wheel? <laughs> why reinvent the wheel? Yeah, it's working uh, fine. You've got to push the limit. Yeah, but. Well that, that, yeah, that's right. I mean, and I think the thing that you know, with teams, you know, we've we, we've both been around a lot of teams for a long period of time now. Yeah, the great challenge as a leader and as a, and a captain or a coach is is trying to keep all of them happy all of the time because you've got to treat them all differently to try and get the best results out of them. And you know, if it's one or two that just slip through through the cracks before you know it, you know the you know the the balls can come tumbling down pretty quickly. So that's you know, I think back then if I had been a bit more aware of what was going on around me, then things might have been I might have been able to change. Now we not I we might have been able to change things. Yeah, that's no, amazing insights. Uh, you were absolutely in the thick of the media, especially as a captain uh, for so many years. And now you're an amazing commentator um, that everyone loves listening to. So from what you know now, would you have approached the media in a different way when you were playing? No, no, not at all. I still would have, I still would have given them nothing even now if I was still playing. Very <laughs> <So> good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, yeah. because uh, because no. Um, as as the, as an Australian cricketer or as an Australian cricket captain, I always felt my first my first job was to protect. My first mm-hmm. job was to protect my players and protect 
the brand and the, the mystique, if you like, that came with the Australian cricket team. So that was what I, that was what I was most cautious of. Like I could have gone up there and, and told the whole world everything about me and about my team and what was going on. No way. It's not. That was too special to me. That was that was ours. You know, that wasn't for anyone else to know what was going on. Like. I wasn't going to go up and tell them about you or what what, what you might have been going through or what you're working on a train. No, that's that's ours. That's that's precious to me. That's the Australian cricket teams, you know. And um, and the way that I've explained that since I've retired is, you know, when when I was when I was playing and when I was captain, you know, I'd go to the press conference and it was almost like I had my helmet on. You know, I, I wasn't going to give anything away. But now that I've retired and I've taken my helmet off, I, it, people can get to know me now. People can mm. start understanding me a bit more. But no, I just I just felt that that's what Australian cricket had always been about. It had always been about, you know, what's happening inside the walls of our rooms. And you know how much I push back on the cameras in the yeah. rooms and things like that. Like yeah. it it was I was just so protective of that. I mean, and I can I can see it now. Now that I'm done, I can see it. I can see the benefits in that and how much the public love from it. But no, look, I, I wouldn't have changed the way that I I mean, I was honest and I was as open as I needed to be with the media about, you know, I was probably more open with me than I was about anybody else. If they ask me a question about anyone else in the team, then as I said, no, I'll protect first and worry about whatever consequences might come later because at the end of the day, the consequences from outside didn't matter compared to what the consequences were inside my team. So I was, I was a, yeah, as I said, I was a protector of, of Australian cricket and that's, um, and I'm, and I'm actually proud of that. So I wouldn't yeah. have changed anything. Yeah. No, it's, it's brilliant. That's one thing that people have to realize is that you are there to protect your players and not like there's people, whether it's coaches, whether it's captains um, at times, they expose players to the general public, expose things that absolutely should not be exposed. It should be players should be protected. You shouldn't be throwing anyone under a bus. It should be all around. I'm here to protect my player because all that matters is them being able to be the best that they can be. And I'm not going to expose someone. I'm not going to call someone out in the media because I might try and give them a bit of a kick up the ass. Well, if you're going to do that, you do that in behind closed doors. And that's something that I, like I appreciated like, gosh, immensely, God, the things that you had to protect me for throughout, throughout my career, um, yeah, you were, <laughs> was incredible. But, you know, other people certainly weren't, didn't have that same philosophy. Um, and the other thing is what you talked about, like the mystique of the Australian cricket team, that's now seeing how things have evolved. And, of course, the one side is that the general public get to get in the inner sanctum and it's an amazing thing for them. But on the flip side, with what I you know, grew up playing in the Australian cricket team was around, well, you work your absolute butt off. You make so many sacrifices and everything to be able to get into that inner sanctum and it's a protected place. But then now, because obviously everything's opened up, there's documentaries that are in the change room as you get out and all that sort of stuff. That just, personally, I know the public love it, but for me, that makes my skin crawl. <laughs> because I'm like, yeah. you're already so exposed as it is, and then you're exposed even more because everyone sees everything that's going on. And that, for me, I, yeah, yeah. I'm just not built that way to be able to actually to, to have handled that. <laughs> yeah. Well, mate, I've been, um, I've been a part of that documentary through the World Cup and stuff. And I, oh, yeah, true. Mate, I, I was staggered. You know, every team meeting, every little gathering, every oh. net session, you get you get to the, you get to the nets, and there are already little GoPros and things set oh. down beside the nets, and mics set up. Everyone was like, "Geez, what what can I say? <laughs> what can I say here? Yeah. What can I? What am I going to do?" But, yeah. No, it was it was really well looked after and really well managed. Yeah. And I mean, I 
there's been so much positive feedback from yeah. it, but I, I, I still have, I haven't watched it yet. I it probably all this time I've got our hands here in Dubai. I might have to sit down and watch it over the yeah. next couple of nights. But um, I mean, it, but at the end of the day, what I was well, I, I think if you know some of those big things hadn't have happened, big dramas hadn't have happened around the team, then that mm. doc, that doco might never have happened. You know, I yeah, think it's just true. got to the stage where there, there was a, a rebuild that needed to happen publicly. And, and, you know, and I think they did like, you know, Jay, was, he's done, you know, he's an amazing bloke and what he's been able to do with that team with, you know, with Paney and, and Camo and what are the, lead, uh, the, the senior guys around that team to turn it around performance wise and to have the public loving what they're doing again, I think has been an amazing effort. Okay, this is going to get into um, other aspects away um, away from cricket. I really believe that this is one of the most important life skills that most of us don't get much education around uh, throughout our lives. But managing and investing our money as well as we possibly can is so integral to make the most of what we've got. So looking back from where you are now, um, with what you've earned throughout your life so far, would you have done things differently from an investment and wealth generation point of view? And this has nothing to do with how much money you've earned or anything like that. It's more so just around the philosophy of um, of wealth generation. Yeah, no, no. I've um, you know, I've been well. I'd say probably not ultra conservative. I'd say I'd, I'd say I've been very conservative though with with what I've done um, with whatever money that I've I've earned from the game or from around the game. You know, most of it's been in you know investing in our own homes and moving mm. around different states and things like that. I've always had a reasonable sort of share portfolio, um, you know, a bit more um, industrial real estate stuff now in Victoria. Um, but I, I wouldn't have done anything. I mean, I'm man, I'm guided by the experts that with a lot of this stuff. I mean, it's, you know, my management and, and brokers and stuff, I've just I've basically just put all my trust in them to make sure they're making good decisions for me. It's, um, you know, and while, while you're playing, I, I, it was so important. Um, for me uh, to not have to be worrying about any of that stuff. I, I needed to have all that stuff taken off my plate and just let just let me focus on cricket and worry about cricket, especially when you're captain, you've got so much going on that you have to do. So, um, yeah, so I'd, I've been, um, you know, reasonably, um, as I said, very conservative there. The last couple of years I've got a little bit more adventurous, um, you know, since, uh, you know, I was a, an ambassador for a, um, for a company that I ended up investing quite a lot of money in over the last couple of years and that's you know that's turned out really well um thankfully okay. so but yeah so but it's yeah so i mean when you and when you do when when you do have you know those little wins i, I get when i've had little wins along the way i've probably been on the back of that being a little bit more likely to be a bit more aggressive if, if you like in the mm. next little thing um you know you talk about if you're in a casino you're sort of playing with their money if you like sort of thing mm. so um yeah and you know the last 12 months to, to Freanna and I to have started our own business and our own mm. um, has been, you know, really exciting and a lot of fun as well. So that's, that's sort of the next, the next stage of, of our lives, if you like. Yeah. So just one thing in regards to finding the right person or people to advise you, was that something that you just felt like you got lucky with the right advisors or did you have to try and source out a good one because it can be challenging to be able to sift through the <laughs> opportunists that are out there to be able to find the right one who's doing giving you the right advice for the right reasons. Yeah, and once again, mate, that for me, is, as I said, my whole the whole basis of my whole life is on trust and trusting mm-hmm. people, and and you know you, you do talk to a lot of people, and and you know a lot of people will tell you lots of things and lots of great things, and um, but I don't know, I don't know what you're like, but I, I get a pretty good feeling about people in a pretty 
short amount of time. I think I can. I think I can sift through the. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I can work people out pretty quickly. To put it that way, but but also with that, as I said, I'm I'm relying on others. You know, I, I a lot of you know the people that I'm with now that do a lot of that stuff. I've known for a long period of time, and I knew that I could trust. So um, you know, I haven't. You know, I've been with two managers my whole life. I haven't ever moved around there. Um, and, you know, most of my investment stuff's been done through the same company as well. So it's, uh, yeah, I, as I say, I trust them and what they've done. And so far, they've done a good job for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit more gullible. <laughs> so I've been a bit more exposed to times. <laughs> <laughs> That's where Lee, Lee's come in to sort of, she's a better judge, a quicker judge of things. <laughs> um what you mentioned there about um, yourself and Rihanna with um, this business that you've started over the last 12 months, I find it absolutely fascinating. I am, I am fascinated by business and people and, and cricketers and athletes who've gone from um, a life of, of directed skill development to then move into the business, um, the business side of things. Um, talk to me about how, where that concept came from and how it's evolved to, to where it is now. Cause I've, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating concept to be able to get the best wines from the best wine regions. I think super clever. Yeah. So basically the opportunity came around. Well, to start with, Rana and I are both wine drinkers and wine lovers. Mm. So, mm. Um, but we never, you know, two, five years ago, we'd, we'd never sat down and said, oh, one, yeah, one day it'd be great to have our own <laughs> label and, and mm. you know, and be bottling our own wines and, and you know, turning it into a, a business. But, um, no, yeah, a, a mate, a friend of mine I've known for a long time that's worked in the the um, alcohol industry. Actually, worked for for Moet Hennessy for a long time. Yeah. Um, just out of the blue, and I've known him for six or seven years, probably out of the blue, just rang one day and he said, oh, "I think with the way that that um, alcohol sales are going to go, um, I think there's a really good opportunity for for someone like you, knowing that you love wine, know a little bit about it." Mm. Um, there's a good opportunity, I think, to, to start your own label. What do you think about it? And I basically thought about it for 30 seconds and I said, you know what, I'd actually, I'd actually really like to, to do that. You know, I'd really like to talk to you more about it. Um, but if I'm going to do it, I'm not going to just stick my name on the outside of a bottle. I, I'm, it's, it's, if, if I'm in, I'm in. Like I'm, I'm going to be, this is our business. Um, I want to choose our, the winemaker. I want to choose where the wine's coming from. I want to actually be involved in the blending process of the wine. I want it to be wine that we... We like drinking ourselves, and um, so look, it, it really went from there. Um, and you know, the, our winemaker Ben Riggs, who's based in McLaren Vale, is, is one of Australia's best winemakers. You know, we've, he's making some Shiraz for us from out of McLaren Vale, which is you know the best region for Shiraz, arguably in in, in Australia. Um, you know, I wanted to tell a story in the brand as well. I wanted to tie my upbringing and, and background into the brand, so hence the. The Pinot Noir and the and the Chardonnay that are coming out of Northern Tasmania, and literally the, you know, where those grapes are grown are probably fifteen or twenty minutes away from from where I grew up. Um, so there's all that, you know. There was there was storytelling. Uh, there was being heavily involved, um, and and to be honest, with what Australia and the world's been through over the last seven or eight months, you know, with COVID um, doing what it's done to the world, and certainly in Victoria, pretty much shut our whole family life's down for the, since middle of March. You know, for Rana and I to have a business to think about at night when we go to sleep and then to a business to get up and work on the next day, you know, when the kids are sitting in front of their computers doing their schoolwork has been, it, honestly, it's been a saviour because I haven't been able to go to the golf course and I'm not one that likes being trapped in the home for too long. So <laughs> at least yeah. we've had, um, you know, we've had a business to sit down and work through and, 
And look, we haven't ran. It's been it's, it's the first time I've ever. So apart from the, our foundation, this is the, mm. the first real business that we've had. We've been able to work on together, and it's um, you know, we've had our ups and downs with a lot of the things that we've decided to do with it. But it's been it's just been awesome for us to work on. You know, a, a passion project, if you like, together. Mm. And yeah. you know, it's come up really well. The wines are the wines are. You know, we wanted to make it was it was always I always wanted to be a premium brand. So the the brand sort of sits in that premium bracket. You know, the twenty seven, twenty eight. $29 bottle of red wine and, the, you know, the Pinot's a $33, $34 bottle and things like that. I wanted mm. to sit in that bracket and I think everything about it, you look at the labelling and mm. everything we've done with it marketing-wise and everything, it's, it sits right in that bracket. So, um, yeah, look, we're really proud of it and it's been it's been a lot of fun so far. I'm just uh, – um, yeah, have you got any? Have I sent you any yet? Hasn't arrived. I'm still waiting for it. <laughs> uh, no, must have been a change of address. You must have changed. Yeah, address yeah that's it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing that I find really fascinating is what you talked there about. You're starting a business, but then you're really going all the way in. It's not just putting your name to it or just throwing some money at it. It's actually really digging into the whole process because you know people that I've talked to on um, on this podcast and other people I've talked to, especially cricketers, a lot of the time they just put their name to it or just throw money. They don't actually really dig in deeper to the really inner workings to be able to one, one alone learns new skills <laughs> from mistakes and also from things that have done well from other people. And that's what, like for me, that's something that I think is even as fascinating because you're really, you and Rihanna are digging into the whole business process, the whole cycle of it from, from infancy, from the, the idea all the way through to blending the wine and the labeling and price point and, and all those, all those sorts of things, which is you're giving it the best chance you can for it to, to do well. And I think that's super oh, cool. Mate, I think that's, you know, it's, it's a life lesson, I think, but even more so, I think a business one since I finished, I mean, i you know, if I've ever done anything, I've gone at it flat out and fully involved, but more so with business. You know, I, if you're not 100% passionate about what you might be getting into, don't bother because if, if you – it just – it honestly, it won't work. It won't motivate you every day and every night. Um, if you're not motivated by what, you, what you've got to get up to the next day and, you know, you're not fully involved, then you're just wasting your time and you're wasting your money. Um, so I think that's where this one for us, you know, as I said, we both, we both love drinking wine, um, and, and the business side of it was an opportunity that we, we both wanted to be able to get into, you know, with, I've got enough time on my hands now with, you know, with the summer and, and IPL coaching, I've got enough time at home to be, as I said, fully committed and, and to be able to work with Rihanna on it has been, um, has been awesome. Super cool to be able to work with Rihanna because she's an amazing person, super, super smart and to be able to do it with someone that you love as well and knows you better than anyone. <laughs> so you're going to have like real chats as well on thing, where things are at either, either way. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. And it's, I mean, if you look at the label, it doesn't say Ricky Ponting Wines, mm-hmm. right? It's got my, it's my family, it's the family name that's mm-hmm. on the bottle. So it's, it's something that, you know, who knows in 20 years time, Fletcher might be running the business, mm-hmm. you know, it, it might be the same business. So it's a, it's something that, that's how that's how far that we're involved and invested and what we we want it to become. We want it, we want this to become something that's there forever. You know that the kids can love down the track. And um, so yeah, so we yeah we we're, we're fully in, mate. It's, it's uh, all chips are in, and um, yeah, we're just we're just loving what we've been able to do with it so far. Yeah, yeah, super cool. I can't wait to be able to try it. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll message through my address <laughs> just in case you just for the, there's a new updated address. <laughs> just, just make sure I've, I've already checked. I've already checked out the import duty into Dubai is really oh, high, so don't. Yeah, no, to no. I'll wait. I'm, happy, I'm happy to wait until I get home. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I've realised is that life is all about how well you bounce back from the setbacks that life always throws at you. So, do you have a, a saying or a mantra that? you have in the back of your mind that helps you bounce back quicker from the challenges that life always throws your way? No, look, I was, I was brought up on a mantra of, and my dad, so I'm not sure how much you know the background of my dad either. My, my dad was a really talented sportsman. Like he was a, a scratch golfer at 14. He played A-grade cricket as an opening batsman at a young age. He played top-level Aussie rules footy um, in, in Tassie as a young bloke, but was just one of those lads, one of the boys. You know, he, he, would, he, he never as long as he was doing that and he was doing it with his mates, then that was, you know, that was all that he really wanted from it. So when I came along, I think he saw a fair bit of me in him as a young, young guy that had a fair bit of talent. And it was all about, he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to let me do what he'd done, if that makes sense and not made the most of the, of the talents that he had. So, mm. you know, every single day of my life, I reckon he, he that I certainly got to live at home anyway. It was, um, you know, boy, he used to call me boy. You know, you only ever get out of life what you're willing to put in. And, you know, if you look back through the way that I trained, that's probably him coming out of me all the time. You know, it was, I trained hard and if I knew if I trained hard, then I'd, I'd, I'd get some rewards out of it. So I think that even, I mean, it's as simple as that sounds. Um, if you can go, if you can wake up every day and have that little motto where you know, no matter if you've had a good day or a shit day the day before, if you can get up and just think about that, and what can I do today just to make myself a little bit better? Um, you know, I mean, I guess you can break it that, that that one saying down. You can break it down to whatever you want. I mean, you can you can break it down to being, you know, how can I how can I be a better person today? What am I going to do to make myself a better person today? Um, but you know, if you work hard at something, then eventually, you know, good things will come your way. So it really simple stuff, mate. As I said, it's but that you know, Dad was just pushing, not pushing. I mean, he was he was talking to me about about that all the time. It's so powerful. Gosh, because it is absolutely so simple. That's it's so simple, but it applies to everything. You only get what you actually, what you put in. Yeah. And, and the question you just asked me about the business before, it's exactly the same, right? I could be, I could be 20% involved in that business and I might get a 10% return. But if I know if I'm a hundred percent involved then I'm going to, you know, I'm giving it the best chance of working. So that's, that's life, mate. I think, I, I think, you know, and, and, you said a lot here as well. I just wish there were a lot of it. a lot of these boys in India that are born with talent all over the place. If you know, if I can just get them to think that way as well, then geez, there'll be some good cricketers come out of this country. I reckon in the next ten or fifteen years. Absolutely, isn't it just crazy? The, <laughs> the crazy the talent yeah. that's on display. It's ridiculous. It's just dripping out everywhere. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. So they need to absolutely need to need to listen to this to really understand that that's, that's, that's what's there available to be able to get the best out of yourself. You've met and been around some of the most successful people that's ever roamed the planet. So is there one person who has inspired you the most and why? Yeah. I just mentioned him. I think it's, I think it's my dad, to be honest. It, yeah. It would definitely be my dad who, as I said, played club golf, played club cricket and played club footy. But I, I think he's inspired me more than anybody because I think at the end of the day, Whenever I walked out of the house or went to cricket, I wanted to make them proud of what I was doing. That was the – I just wanted to make family 
proud and to to say that that was their boy on TV or that was their you know so that was I think that was all the inspiration that I needed. I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't need to be rubbing shoulders with Michael Jordan or mm-hmm. you know people like that to make myself better because it wasn't one I couldn't compare myself to them anyway. But it was about once again just being as good as I could be, um, and I didn't need any more inspiration than the people that were closest to me because I knew I knew if I kept I mean the thing about life what I was well not life it, well I guess it is life you know you've got a lot of people around you that are really close to you and you've got a whole lot more that aren't and if it's no good worrying worry about trying to keep the ones that aren't close to you happy if you can keep the ones that are close to you happy and you're doing the right things by them whether that's your family or your teammates if you're doing that then I think life's all right if you start worrying about trying to please everybody all the time then I think life gets a bit difficult so um, inspiration for me, mate, was was my dad and my family saying that, that they were pretty happy watching their boy play on TV. Gosh, and they certainly were. What special moments that they've shared for such a long period of time. I absolutely love reading and, and learning as much as I can. Um, I, do you have one or two books that stand out to you that you've read that have had the most impact on you or a documentary? Because I, <laughs> so books or documentary or something that's really that you've read or watched that's really stood out to you that's had a huge impact on you. Mm, no, um, I'm not. A, I'm not. A, I'm not a big reader. I must admit. Um, mm. I have started to get in a few more documentaries. I guess the latest one I watched was the, the Last Dance, the Michael Jordan mm. one, which I, I really, I really liked. Mm. I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, there was even for that. Even with that, for me, there are a lot of learnings with that about. Um, you know, the impact of one person on a team and one person on a franchise and um, that sort of thing. But there are also some things that I took away from that that I've been talking to our boys about here, you know, about Jordan wanting to be the man and always being the man and wanting to take the last shot. And the team knew that was always going to be him that wanted to take the last shot. You know, I want all of our guys in this team to think that way, that it's not just about one, it's about when any of them get their chance to take that last shot, that they're going to do it and they're going to nail it. So um, little things like that. But really... when you ask about the books, I think the books for me that it's not about the books. It's about the day-to-day learnings of being around people. It's so I'm reading, I'm reading people and situations and things like that. And I think that's where I get my learnings from. You know, I think as a nine-year-old, eight or nine-year-old sitting in the corner of the Mowbray Eagles A-grade dressing room, I was reading a book then, you know, that was a book that was playing in front of me. You know, I was, listening I wasn't asking too many questions but I was listening and it was almost like it just felt like an audio book it was just there and I was taking it all in and I'd go away at home and think it think that night of oh, what were they talking about what was he talking about when that bowler was bowling out swingers outside of stump and you know what you know you know those are sort of things so um so I think they're they're the learning the books have just been there you know the stories have been there um and I've I guess I've just consumed them in a different way um if you like but because that's one thing I've always felt like I've probably never been a great talker I've probably never been the best communicator ever but I'm a I'm a very good listener I listen to a lot and I pick up a lot um and I process things in my own head probably a lot so yeah I guess mate they'd be the that's probably the best way I can describe the learnings in my life it hasn't been from what's been written on paper but it's been about the I guess what's what's happened around me from a very young age yeah, and that's an incredible skill to be able to have, to be able to absorb what's around you, to be able to learn from every other person's experience as well, and then to be able to distill that down into how that's going to work for you. And that's an, that's an incredible skill in itself. And, you know, there's no secret reason why you've been able to um, achieve and have the success that you've had because you know how to be able to learn from people who have 
been through so many different experiences. Yeah, good and bad, right? Like you, yeah. you can, I can sit back and analyze why someone's had a good day, and I can sit back and analyze why someone's had a bad day, and then try and work it out. Well, that happened to ask them. I, you know, if, if I know them well enough and I've watched them do what they've done for the last couple of days, I'll probably understand. I'll have a pretty good understanding as to why they've either had a good day or a bad day. So, you know, that's um, and you know, the next phase of both of our lives, mate, is is working that out with our kids and making sure that we understanding when our kids are you know, having a bad day or they've got a bad day coming or they've got a good day coming. That's the next challenge for both of us. Yeah, that's it. That's going to be the ultimate challenge and the ultimate sort of um, reward as well to be able to do that as well as we possibly can. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, absolutely. Deal. Yeah. Punt, words cannot describe how grateful I am to have had you on this episode of Lessons Learned for the Greats. You achieved things in the game of cricket that only a couple ever have or ever will achieve. And now we've all been so fortunate to hear the insights into what made you arguably one of the greatest cricketers ever. I just can't thank you enough, Punt, uh, for giving me the time to share all of these amazing insights with us. And we are all that much richer for digging deeper into the mind of one of the greatest cricketers of all time. Thank you, mate. My pleasure, mate. Who's writing the scripts for you there as well? That was pretty impressive. For more episodes of Lessons Learned with the Greats, head to t20stars.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.